Monday, January 30th, and this is episode 36 of the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast, Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats. It's insight and perspective from members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Matt Morsey, Investment Team Manager. My apologies, uh, Greg isn't here. I know you like him better. (laughs) (laughs) Morning, Danny. I heard. (laughs) I'm Um, not sure if I phrased it that way. Joining us for the first time, Nick Hillstrom, a trader at Annex Wealth Management in the Investment Committee. Welcome. Thanks, Danny. And then we've got Trevor Nargis, Senior Trader. Welcome to you. Thanks, Danny. And fantastic start to the show here. Throw Matt under the bus, but I, th- I think I heard him saying that to you after we were off the air last week, oh, too, Oh, there's Danny. more than one microphone <laughs> in the studio. <laughs> I think before we start here, you know, Nick, this is his first time on the show here. I think from a strength in itself, I want to kind of talk about the investment team that we have here. We got a depth of people. You know, we had Jack DeRoche on for the first time last week. We got Nick on this week. I think it just speaks to the amount of talent that we have have here and the amount of resources that we have going into uh, day-to-day research management of, of our portfolios and kind of just it, it's a testament to what we do here and the depth of the team so let's get into it right we got a it's it's fed week right we got a fed decision this week market has pretty much priced in the fact that there's going to be a 25 basis point uh, rate hike um, so that so again widely priced in uh, it really shouldn't be any news uh, that that's going to come to light what the market's really going to be watching this week is what Powell has to say. The consensus is really that he's going to try and talk down the equity markets um, because we have seen a really strong rally to the start of the year. From a data standpoint, like I said, we got that rate hike, got jolts coming in, we got ISM this week, we got some productivity figures, and we got ISM services as well. But I kind of want to dial it back to the rally that we talked about uh, as we pivot into talking about strengths. So Nick, take it away. So a big strength that we're seeing is that the losers from 2022 are becoming the winners to start 2023. So year to date, tech, communications, and consumer discretionary have all been outperforming the S&P and the other sectors. These are the sectors that were really beaten down over the last year. Yeah, sectors that have really been beaten down this year. It's been somewhat of a duration rally to start the year. We've seen a lot of those higher beta names really catch a bid. And you're looking at these risk assets like like Bitcoin and whatnot and how those have performed. I think another strength as well has not just been here in the U.S. with some of those high beta names, but also the economy in Europe. You know, there's a lot of concern right now about the strength of the economy in the U.S., what a recession may or may not look like. But in Europe, the economic surprise index over over there uh, has been quite strong. I think that can be characterized by the unseasonably warm winter that they've had. You know, you couple that with lower gas prices too. You know, back in August, gas prices were flirting with 300 over there, and now we've seen them get down to the 60s. So that has been a major catalyst because people were really concerned about the cost of energy over there. And that's been really important to kind of, I guess, the overall health of the European economy and how they've been able to sustain themselves here. Yeah, I think to continue on that, and and especially with the Fed coming out this week as well, is that the market rally we've had so far has gone against what the Fed has really wanted. And so financial conditions, although they've been tightening and their balance sheet has been wound off, has actually been loosening uh, or easing so far this year. And, you know, it's it's having an, an opposite effect of what they have. So, yeah, the the how Powell comes out this week and his messaging of future interest rates, what he sees happening with inflation, what they believe the path going forward is going to be really interesting. And I, I think we'll dig into that a little bit more um, and potentially the weakness side of the market. But keep in mind as the equity market has done well and, and fixed income market, the bond market has done well as well too. It's doing the opposite of what the Fed wants. 
But part of that is also kind of, you know, the likelihood of a soft landing is increasing. You know, you see the market doing quite well. Financial conditions are actually easier now than they were before the Fed even started its hiking cycle last year, which is something that's pretty mind-boggling given the aggressiveness of their of their hiking cycle. One other thing too is that on the flip side of that is that one of the Fed's favorite measures of inflation, you know, the PCE taking out food and so the personal consumption expenditures index, you take food and energy out of that. That came out at 4.4% year over year in December, which was down from 4.7 the month prior. So the Fed continues to see inflation slowing, which is good, but from a kind of restrictive policy standpoint, like you said, Matt, financial conditions are actually easing. And that's actually a function of what we're seeing in the TGA, the Treasury General account. Net, I guess, net policy activity has actually been stimulative. So while they've tried to be restrictive through everything that they've done with rate hikes, unwinding the balance sheet, kind of taking everything into consideration with monetary policy, that's what leads to financial conditions actually easing somewhat. Yeah, I'd say, and then if we transition to weakness, that when you see those inflation numbers come out, that's still felt day to day by consumers. And we've been able to, I think, weather that really well over the last year or so due to the increased amount of savings that happened throughout COVID. Whether it's initially that people couldn't leave their house and spend their money to the amount of checks that they received or uh, child rebates and stuff like that, which I know I personally really appreciated. Uh, but that amount of savings that people had helped people get through that, you know, pretty easy. But as somebody who, when they grocery shop, really carefully looks at price and compares, you know, one box to another when I'm looking at unit costs and stuff like that and going through that and seeing as, you know, all the memes are the price of eggs that have gone up, you know, it, I think that stuff is starting to really hit consumers hard because there's only so long that you can spend more for the same item over and over again before you really start saying, okay, do I really need to buy these types of things? Well, and that's the issue that some people have with taking food and energy out of inflation figures, right? Is because, well, what everyday consumer isn't dealing with food and energy prices, right? People do feel that. I think that kind of speaks to the consumer. Nick, what are you seeing from the consumer from a weakness standpoint? So we're seeing that the savings rate is currently low compared to previous years, and this is due to overall higher consumer spending. And the more that you're spending, the less that you're overall saving, so this makes sense. Consumer credit continues to expand with the savings rate moving lower. Yeah, and on top of that, the average credit card interest rate is about 19% right now. With consumer spending being so hot, that would naturally suppress the savings rate because the more you're spending, the less you're saving. I think really the, the takeaway from all of that is that savings is still high, but that savings rate is declining and consumers are starting to eat through their savings. So the consumer still looks somewhat healthy from you know just, just a glance, but when you're looking at the trends underneath the hood, you're really seeing, I guess, more unhealthy activity. When people are tapping into their credit card to pay bills, buy groceries, not necessarily a sign of a healthy consumer. So something that we're watching there. From a sentiment standpoint too, you're also seeing the consumer be pretty bearish. So, you know, the current reading and expectations are in the mid to low 60s. And this is about as bearish as we've seen it. You know, it's been commensurate with the GFC and even below the COVID pandemic. Now, take that with a grain of salt because a sign of hope is that the month-over-month month trend is positive. So conditions and expectations are bad, but 
somewhat improving. So again, trying to take somewhat of an optimistic spin on it, but being realistic in the sense that consumer might not be in as great a shape as people have talked about. You know, this is something that we said a couple weeks back that the talk throughout 2022 was always, oh, the strength of the consumer, the strength of the consumer. Well, when you're starting to see them tap into lines of credit to, you know, pay bills, buy groceries, not necessarily a sign of overall health. Yeah, I think we can transition now into opportunities. You know, one of the things, and I think there's a lot of opportunities actually out there for maybe as as bearish as the market has been at times, or we've probably come off at times, but there are certainly a lot of opportunities. One of the things that I think for sure is if you are able to save or you do have excess savings in the bank is that yields are now available for you, but probably not right at your bank. Um, Looking this morning that the average national savings yield on a savings account is still under a quarter of a percent. But if you go to a money market, such as one of the custodians that we use, or you invest in short-term treasuries, you're actually able to get over 4%. So you can increase your savings rate or the yield on your savings by over 4% just by taking a few steps to do that. That's something we probably have not talked about enough on, on this or, or maybe even with clients. But that's an area if you need you know, so much in your bank to cover you know, your normal spending or maybe even your emergency fund to cover potential needs that are going to be coming through. But anything on top of that really should be something that you're looking to get an enhanced return on. So whether it's something that's guaranteed by the U.S. government like a treasury or a money market that's pegged to one, you know, something like that that's going to get you over 4% is an amazing place to get extra yield without really taking that risk like such as going into long-term bonds or even into the equity market as well. So that's a huge area of opportunity. Yeah, another opportunity that we're seeing is that there's just many areas all at once looking strong. So this is a great time to be diversified. So we talked about the importance of diversification in recent podcasts, but you have to know that certain areas will outperform others and you don't know which one's going to outperform. We talked about Europe and how Europe has reduced recessionary concerns. If we look at the strength of the dollar compared to the euro, it looks like the euro is going to be strengthening compared to the U.S. dollar. So this is really good for international investments. When we talk about emerging markets, I know Jack touched on China reopening last week's podcast, but the momentum in China has been heading into the extreme territory. Overall, emerging markets has performed better than the S&P and the NASDAQ year to date. We see in the U.S. there's still a chance for a soft landing, and we talked about that. Finally, on SWAT, I can talk about small caps. Small caps are looking attractive compared to their large cap counterpart, and we're seeing that value is still looking strong compared to growth, but growth is becoming an opportunity that's looking more attractive. You know, Todd talked about growth at a reasonable price last week. Commodities like gold and lumber have performed really well to start the year, and these continue to look attractive. And finally, bonds are finally yielding something for the first time in a long time, and when we look at bonds with a possible rate cut in the near future. It's a chance to lock in rates with some added duration to generate some alpha over the long run. Just to jump on that a little bit as well, too, when you're talking about growth and value in some of these different areas, sometimes it's really easy to pick out specific sectors and say, okay, these are growth sectors or these are value sectors, then that largely will be true. Technology generally is on the growth side of that equation. However, right now, there's actually more technology companies in the value indexes than they've had ever. So you are able to, even if you're a value investor, have access to companies that typically have higher growth rates or maybe even have an attractive spot to try to blend that approach together and have that growth at a reasonable value. Yeah, and some of that comes down to how different funds, different ETF providers kind of screen for names that they consider value, right? When you've seen tech names get beaten down like they have over the past 
12 months. Um, a lot of these companies are still really strong quality companies with good earnings, good cash flows. They're, they're compounding over the long term. So when you think of kind of that value versus growth argument, some of these growth names that are now value, you kind of almost want to think of those as like, okay, what's a, what's a good quality company that, that I can look for, that I can screen here? And to touch on what you guys were both talking about earlier with, with Europe, I just want to go back to that, is that from a valuation standpoint, you know, the, the argument over the past decade, right, has been how cheap international is relative to the U.S. And you've had people pounding the table saying, international's cheap, international's cheap, EM's cheap, EM's cheap. And it's just continued to underperform. And that's been a function of really growth differentials and interest rate differentials. But now I think we're starting to hit a point where we're seeing that tide shift a little bit. The dollar weakening has been a really positive catalyst for international and EM as of late. And, you know, looking at relative valuation between the U.S. and just let's just say EFA, right, Europe and whatnot, looking at those relative valuation figures, we're really just we just recently kind of hit a point where it really kind of screamed that, hey, you should take a look at at international here. You know, over the past 10 years, you know, you've had people pounding the table, but I don't think the I don't think the case was quite there in full and just recently we've kind of hit that point where all right, it really makes things interesting and sure enough, you know, we've we've seen a rally and not that everything coincides perfectly, but definitely something to take note of. And then kind of the last thing that I'll get into before we move out of opportunities here is the technical side of things. You know, we're, we're going to hit a point eventually, we, maybe we're already in that point where technicals kind of start to be a better gauge of fundamentals because the market is forward looking, right? The market does tend to price in what's going on in the future, whether or not that's always right, right? That's the million dollar question. But from a technical standpoint, you're going to start to see a point where you want to look for momentum in the market. You want to see things kind of start to trade better. You know, the market might look somewhat irrational because when fundamentals are so poor and the market's starting to do better from a technical standpoint, it's going to look like the market's trading at a more expensive multiple. And you kind of got to take things in stride there and kind of balance, you know, the fundamentals, the valuation and and the trading side of things when it comes to portfolio management. So I think there's going to be an opportunity here coming forward where you kind of got to be dynamic in how you're evaluating the markets, whether that be from a fundamental standpoint or a technical standpoint. So let's wrap it up here and let's get into threats, guys. Yeah, I think from a, a threat standpoint, there's there's two main ones in, in my mind. So first is monetary policy and the Fed actions that started last year are really starting to kick in and are going to continue to do so. At the same time, they're still being very active when it comes to rate increases. And like we've said earlier, we're most likely to get a quarter of a point increase this week. And depending on how Powell speaks about that, the market's going to move, certainly. But that's really just kind of coming through. And at the same time, they're also reducing the size of the balance sheet, which even if they slow down or even pause in the near future from a rate increase standpoint, they're not doing that with the balance sheet and they're going to continue to, to work that off. So that's obviously one. The second is, is with increased yields, with what the Fed's doing, that means that the U.S. government has to pay more when it comes to the debt that they're servicing. And in a world where you had a declining rate that they had to pay, which ultimately ended up to be you know pretty close to zero in the COVID area, um, now that we're at over 4% in short-term treasuries, the cost of servicing the debt is going to skyrocket. And we're going to see a peak of what that's going to look like from a Washington standpoint, as we're now at the point where, you know, they have to raise the debt ceiling 
And now that we have divided government, we're going to see what kind of fireworks we see through that. So that's one of the, the big threats there is the monetary policy. And then you can see the direct result of that going to be from a fiscal standpoint. And piggybacking on your monetary policy point is that there's obviously a threat of the Fed being more hawkish in their upcoming meeting than what the market expects, right? Like we talked about earlier, markets expecting a 25 basis point rate hike. The threat there is obviously that Powell comes out very hawkish, kind of reiterates like, hey, we're being pretty restrictive here. We're going to continue to be pretty restrictive here. Um, you know, if that's the case, you'll probably see stocks take a hit. Dollar might strengthen. But the thing that we need to not forget is that the Fed is still reducing its balance sheet, right? There's still quantitative tightening going on, and there's really no signs of that slowing. The Fed's determined to unwind their balance sheet a little more, and that drain of liquidity from the system typically isn't good for risk assets. Headline strength this week. Losers of 2022 are being the winner so far in early 2023, which has helped the market rally. What's our headline weakness? Consumer credit continues to expand, and you're seeing the savings rate tick down. Headline opportunity? Many areas are looking strong all at once, so this is a great time to diversify. And our headline threat? Actions that the Fed have been taking and the ramifications that flow through not only to consumers, but also to Washington. Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast. It's episode 36, Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats. Trevor Nargis, Senior Trader, thank you. Thanks, guys. Nick Hills from our trader at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome and thank you. Thank you. And Matt Morris, the Investment Team Manager, thank you. Thank you to my favorite host, Danny. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management, LLC, nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.